Oh, good morning. Yeah, it's good to be with you, to worship with you this morning. And uh, you're probably not supposed to sing that hard before you stand up to preach, but I did it anyway. So Now we continue our worship through a study in God's Word, and I come to you. If, you, if any of you are visiting today, welcome. And uh, please be at rest because I'm visiting with you too. Some of you may know me. Some of you may not recognize me yet. I used to be a lot better looking, to my credit. So anyway, my wife, Stephanie, raise your hand. Honey, where are you? Yes. And we do have the privilege of serving as missionaries in the foreign land of Michigan. And uh, it's our privilege to be here with you this morning. And uh, I'm, I'm so excited just to be with you. Uh, some of you may not understand what Word of Life is. And if you would like more information, I, we do have a clipboard. You can see Stephanie, my wife, or myself. And We'd love to get you some more information. Uh, some of you in this room, you support the ministry of Word of Life uh, here in the mission field of the United States and all over the world, and we're so thankful for you. If some of you are wondering if this is a ministry you can stand behind, I would love to talk with you about that. Uh, again, good morning. Grab your Bibles this morning, please, and we'll get right into it. You know, you're thinking, well, we have our missionary speaker, and... There are a few passages that missionaries like to go to in the Bible. Matthew 28 is one of them, <laughs> right? So don't, don't roll your eyes. God's word is breathed out by him, and all of it is profitable and absolutely wonderful. We are familiar with this passage, right? As you grab your copy of God's word and turn to Matthew chapter 28, we're familiar with this passage, are we not? What does this passage contain? We have a term for what's in it. Somebody tell me. The Great Commission. That's right. We're familiar with that. There's, there's a part of this passage, though, that is not so commonly preached. And uh, it's my delight to stand before you and, and to study it as a fellow student. So uh, dive in this morning into God's word with me as we begin. Chapter 28, and for a little bit of context, let's go ahead and look at verse 11. And I, have, I put it up on the screen if you don't have, if you can't see it in front of you, if you don't have it, uh, a Bible with you this morning, then, uh, then come see me and I'll get you one. Um, starting in verse 11, while we read this, this narrative, try to gather some of the context this morning. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests and all that had taken place. Verse 12. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the elders. And they said, tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Um, this, this ministry that God has us involved in um, is one that is in some ways surprising to me. If you, if you leave here this morning and you forget my name and you forget the ministry that we're involved with, but you do remember, boy, this Jesus is absolutely beautiful, then for me that's a victory. So you don't have to remember the details about me, but you know, I, I, there are some people in this room to whom I absolutely owe everything. And... Uh, I didn't know that you were praying for me, and I, I count that as absolutely a great value to me. So thank you very much. This work that we do, 
as believers, as all of us in this room, we believe that something called the Great Commission is actually extended not only to the professional Christians, right? The pastors, the deacons, the church secretary. This Great Commission is actually extended to every single believer uh, by virtue of the fact that you have been bought with a price. You are not your own. You belong to the Savior who purchased you with his blood. Uh, We have been commissioned or sent in a certain work that actually involves every single person in here who names the name of Jesus. So what a wonderful thing this is. We're familiar with the passage coming after this. We're familiar with the go ye therefore. But we can't overlook the preceding paragraph. We can't neglect it because this is the context that we as believers serve God in this morning. What is the context that we go forth, and you saw it in this passage, you see it in your life today, you'll see it tomorrow, you'll see it till Jesus comes back for his own, because it's just the, the soup that we swim in. We are going forth in a world that will do anything not to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, well, Nathan, aren't you supposed to encourage us? <laughs> Isn't the Great Commission something we're supposed to be excited about? Which in more detail, really, what is the Great Commission? We're we're carrying the good news, the story, the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who have never heard. We're making disciples. Okay, No matter how that looks for you, if you're doing that, you are involved in the Great Commission. If you are a believer this morning and you're you're not sure how you're involved, uh, then let today be the day. This message we bear of freedom found in Jesus Christ is like none other, and we live in a world that is dying without it. But at the same time, I understand this may may not be too encouraging right off the bat, but we are going forth in a world that will do anything not to believe this message. So what's going on here? These Roman soldiers were coming uh, to the Jewish elders, and what would happen if if, if a Roman soldier was set sentry or set guard over someone or something, and that someone or something went missing? What would happen to those Roman soldiers? It's not a pleasant thing. They would be dead. Okay, that was, they knew that this was their fate. They knew they had been guarding the tomb of Jesus. They knew that he wasn't there anymore the next morning. And they knew as a consequence it would cost them their heads. There was no question. So they come to the Jewish leaders, right? And they, they're talking about what's going on. The, the Jewish leaders come up to me. We read these passages and we're so familiar with them, but... I try to read them as if it was the first time. So they're coming before these Jewish leaders. They have the right to kill these guards. Certainly the governor had the right to do so. So they're coming up before them, and the Jews come up with a lie to tell. It's interesting. Why not just tell the truth? Well, because one way or another, it would cost these guys their lives. But the lie, they hand them a sum of money and said, I want you to lie and say that the disciples came and stole the body. Okay, think for a second. (laughs) I'm going to lie and tell everybody around me, everybody in town, I'm going to have to tell the governor and those in charge of me that I was guarding this tomb and the body's missing the next day. That would, for me, make no sense because for me to be walking around telling telling people that I had been derelict in my duties, that's evidence that I wasn't because I would be dead. I wouldn't be able to walk around. Opposition to the gospel message, opposition to truth, is very rarely rational. And here we see a prime example of that. As the leaders tell these two soldiers to lie about what had happened, 
Will you see the, the pickle they're in? Do we tell the truth and face the consequences, or do we lie and face other consequences? What do we do? You know, we're between a rock, or you could say a stone, and a hard place. See what I did there? Stone. Yeah. They were in a real situation that they couldn't get out of on their own. But what was at stake? If you, if you recognize, if you acknowledge that Jesus did indeed raise from the dead, which is the center point of a lot of different debate today, right? If you acknowledge that Jesus rose from the dead, then you're acknowledging in that instant so many different things about who he is and what he says. If Jesus did what he said he was going to do, then he must be who he says he is, and the things that he says must be true, and that has claims over my life. Some people are not willing to accept who Jesus actually is, the historical, biblical, divine Jesus, the man sent to die for a world trapped in sin with no way of ever hoping or helping ourselves. God sent his, his only son, sinless, spotless lamb, to be crucified and to bear the consequences of the debt that we incurred. Do you know who Jesus is today? For the person in this room who is not sure, for the, purpose, for the person in this room who says, no, I don't know who Jesus is, I've been praying for you for weeks, and I think today's the day. We'll get to that, back to that here in just a few moments. But the situation is not one that I would really want to find myself in. These people are fighting tooth and nail to, to fight the message of the gospel and not to acknowledge it. The world will do whatever it can not to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're saying, Nathan, you're painting a pretty bleak picture. We're going into a world that doesn't want us there as believers, who could care less about what we have to say. Well, this isn't really my experience, you say. You know, I've, how many of you have been on short-term mission trips or long-term? You've, you've served as missionaries short-term or long-term? Yeah, lots of you. And that's not typically the experience that they really advertise, right? If I'm going to round up a group of kids and go to Mexico, I'm not going to preach this and end here. Okay, you want people to participate, you want them to be excited, and they should be. There's a lot of life, and we'll get, that, we'll get back to that later. But that's not the experience. You've seen it before. We send, we send a missionary couple sometimes. We send them off, and you have a going-away party for them, a commissioning service. Sometimes you, you lay hands on them, and, and it's great because you have the whole church praying for you. And it's awesome. And you're so excited, and you can't wait to get through all the little things that seem like formalities just so you can go to where you've been praying and raising money to do, and you're so excited, you're elated. In fact, on the way there, the plane uses less fuel because you're just, the high that you're on naturally suspends the airplane in the air, and it's lighter carrying you over there. And then you get there, you're still excited, you you go to sleep, you wake up the next day, and you find out that you're with people who do not want to hear what you have to say. Oftentimes they hate you. The message of the truth of Jesus Christ is not a welcome one. I say around the world, but it's not a welcome one down the street. You know, we serve as missionaries in the United States, and some people say, well, America is not a mission field. Ah, yeah, we'll we'll talk about that some other time. It certainly is. The mission field, you walk out of these doors, and you are entering the mission field. Like it or not, believer. And we are commissioned as children of God, to engage our world, whether they welcome it or not, with the truth, the wonderful, life-changing, eternity-changing truth of Jesus Christ. 
It reminds me of the, the story of Isaiah. You know, the, the call of the prophet Isaiah. God comes. Isaiah is just overtaken, overwhelmed by the glory that is displayed before him. And God's saying, who, who am I going to send? Right? What does Isaiah say? Here am I, send me. And so he's excited. He's going. God's sending him forth into what should be a very exciting work. And what does God tell him? Isaiah, one important detail that you should know is I'm going to send you forth to a crooked and stiff-necked people who will not listen to you. Boy, that's a rally exciting charge, right? I'm going to send you to a people, a stiff-necked people, who will not listen to the message that is burning in your heart. And for years and years and years and years, Isaiah had a ministry that some would call fruitless And that's what God called him into. So why in the world would anybody want to do this? And by the way, it doesn't matter what it is that you're doing. If you're you're, um, cleaning pools, if you're an electrician, right? You work at a diner, whatever it is. You proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. Then more power to you. Because the world that we live in is not open to it. So who in the world would ever sign up for something like this? Let's read the next verse. Verse 16, verses 16 and 17. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Some doubted. Don't miss that. I know you've read it before. I know it's easy to skip over, but wait a second. Okay, so Nathan, you're telling me first that we have the spiritual warfare outside these walls. Right? This world that will spit in our face, this world that sometimes at the best, it would seem, would politely say, no thanks, get out of here with your message of Jesus. So we have that to deal with. Not only that, but these guys walked with Jesus, breathed the same dust, sweated under the same sun. They interacted with the same people that Jesus did for three and a half years. And some doubted of all people how dare they doubt him? Well, before we get too pious and think that they, that would have been impossible, right? If only I had Jesus walking with me, surely I would never doubt him. Don't be so quick. You come in here this morning, you know, I tell people that we don't come here to worship necessarily. We do, there's a truth in that, but really more accurately, we bring our worship here. You're worshiping wherever you go. You're worshiping something or someone. Thank you for bringing your worship here this morning. But we come in, we walk in these doors with different sets of baggage that we carry, right? You know what the days are like. A death in the family. God, where are you? A diagnosis. Lord, I didn't see this coming. Where are you right now? I'm really trying to have faith and stick this through, but this is tough, and I didn't sign up for it. Those of you involved in any kind of a ministry or you're working with people, that's tough. You know, I, I serve and I, and, I, and I preach and I teach and I clean up and I take care of the kids in the nursery and still it seems like nobody appreciates it. Everybody's after me. Life seems to be stacked against me right now and I'm trying to hang in there, but God, where are you? Situations that are terrible very serious some situations that are just the headaches of life and it's actually difficult to hang in there without doubt is it not so this is tough 
I'm reminded of Paul's word in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. His instruction to Timothy was preach the word, right? Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with patience and teaching. Uh, For there's coming a time, and I think we're in this time, there's coming a time when people will not endure sound teaching, but they'll they'll have itching ears and they'll accumulate for themselves teachers who will suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to truth. And then after all that, these people are going to wander away into myths. It's frustrating. That's the church crowd. And they're wandering away into myths. You know, we as a church, we're faithful to preach God's word, faithful to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ, to preach truth in season and out of season when it's welcome and when it's not. When truth is like a a surgeon's scalpel, or when truth is like a healing balm, no matter what it is. We preach the truth, and we try to be faithful, and some guy comes along down the road. I'm not, I'm not being specific. I don't know anybody down the road. But some guy comes along down the road, and he's got a great band, a big smile. He buys up a big facility, right? Great, great ministry team, and they're not preaching the truth. But people are lined up to get in there. What's going on? It's, it kind of reminds me of the cartoon. I don't know if any of you know who this famous guy is right here. You remember he was this man, Pepe Le Pew, right? He was in love with somebody. What was interesting about that somebody that he was in love with? Was it a skunk? No, she was a cat. She was a black cat, but she was pretty in a cat way, I guess. I don't see it, but he did. He was in love with her, and you know what happened? She would walk by, and you could see in the cartoons, you could see the perfume floating through the air. And he would just float up in the air, his toes were twinkling, and he'd float along the scent of where she was, and he was always hot on her tracks. It kind of reminds me of that. You know, you're, you're faithful in ministry. People are not ready to hear it. They'll go after whatever it is that comes along, looks better, sounds sweeter, but the truth is not there. We preach word faithfully. And sometimes it seems like it just doesn't do the trick. So again, why do we do this? And here's where it gets good. Okay, so if you're wondering why in the world engage in something like this, I'm glad you're wondering that. And hang with me as we read this verse right here. You've read it before, but pretend like you've never read it because there's a a spot in this verse that I've, I've long wondered why in the world this matters. Okay, you have people who are struggling to bear the gospel message, and you know that we live in a world that is going to resent Jesus, really, directly, but us indirectly, for the message that we bear. So why in the world do it? And Jesus chooses these words as the remedy for those inclinations we have, and it's interesting why he does that. And Jesus came and he said to them, after all that, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Amen. Hallelujah. Right? Pack up and go home. But I've wondered, why does he say, why would that matter? Why, if, if this is the struggle that we're in for, why would it matter for Jesus to say that? Well, here's what not, it's not happening in heaven. Jesus is sitting up there with his fingers crossed, hoping against all hope that we can do a good enough job, that we can perform well enough that we can check all the right boxes and get all the sheep inside these doors. 
There's going to be elections coming up. We're going to vote for so-and-so in office. God's not running for God. He's not on anybody's ballot. He's God. He is who he says he is. And that should matter. All authority has been given to me. This is why the whole mission is going to be successful. This is why there's, there's any hope at all in us taking a leap of faith being courageous when it comes to opening our mouth and sharing, hey, look, there is liberty from the sin debt that we are under, and I know how you can find it. It's how I found it. It's in Jesus Christ, and he is here with outstretched arms, offering salvation to every single man, woman, boy, and girl. He is the success of the entire mission. We cannot fail. The gospel endeavor is not up to you. As lovely as you are, as good-looking as you are, as beautiful as those smiles are, thank God it's not up to you. Thank God this work is not dependent upon Nathan Raish because it's not getting done. It would be the opposite effect. He is the one to whom is given all authority in heaven and earth. You say, well, wait a second. Isn't God, isn't Jesus the second member of the Trinity? Is he? A yes belongs right there. He is. He's God. He is fully God and fully man. A union that we can't really fully understand, but he's God. So isn't he, didn't he already have authority? These are tough questions, but ask the questions. The Bible is a book that's been criticized and attacked for centuries, and it can withstand any of our questions. Ask them. Didn't Jesus have all authority in heaven and earth already? Then why is he saying that now all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth? There's a reason. There's a reason, and it's scriptural. I want you to flip to the right, to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. You don't get there quickly. Give up, because I'm going to read them. I don't have time to wait too long, but I'm going to read these verses to you. Colossians chapter 2. Starting in verse 9. This is why Jesus is saying, all authority has been given to me. For in him the fullness of the deity of deity dwells bodily, completely God. Verse 10. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Okay, so he already was, right? Verse 11. In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Jesus Christ. It's a heart work. There's a word picture there. If you don't understand it, look into it. It's a heart picture of what's going on by the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart when you're saved. Uh, Right there again, verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith and power working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and sins, who is that? Who was once dead in their trespasses and sins? Me. The fact I'm standing here should tell any of you that know me, and perhaps many of you otherwise, that God reaches to the uttermost. He can save anybody. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, 
and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt, amen, that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross once and for all. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Guess what didn't exist in the Godhead before Jesus took on the form, Philippians 2, of a baby, helpless. Christmas time, we're getting ready to celebrate that. Celebrate this. God came down from heaven... The Son of Man, Son of God, came down, took on the form of baby to live life you could have never lived, to die a death you were supposed to die. And he triumphed by doing this over all of the authorities. So he takes on himself the nature of humanity. Theologically, they call it the active obedience. He fulfilled the law. And he allowed his righteousness to be applied to your account. And by his passive obedience, he took on death. The wrath of God came upon him, and all of the punishment that was due us fell upon him. And so now his, our sin can be imputed on him, and it was at the cross. So this is why Jesus can say, now all authority has been given to me. Because before he went to the cross, before he took on the veil of humanity, before he bore your punishment on that old tree, the Trinity didn't know this. He demonstrated in a way, and by raising from the dead and seated, the one seated at the right hand of God the Father right now, demonstrated in a way that was never before demonstrated, that all authority has been given to him. Some people say, well, Jesus is less than God. Absolutely not. He is God himself. All authority has been given to him. And I'm so glad it has been. This is our God. This is why we can hope to continue on a mission that is dif difficult. That we'd otherwise have no hope being a part of. This is why we can continue. You guys sang this this morning, that he's worthy of every breath, right? Wonderful song service, by the way. I, I, I enjoy when people are not performing in front of you, and, and I can say this here because I know it's your heart, that people in front of you this morning were worshiping God and inviting us to worship with him, and I'm so glad they did. But every breath, is, he's worthy of every breath. He's worthy of every single song you could ever sing. Not only does God love you and have a wonderful plan for your life, he deserves our worship. That's a part of the gospel that sometimes isn't presented clearly, and I'm trying to get better at that. There's a God in heaven who's the creator of all things. He's holy, he's right, he's blameless, he's so completely other than us. But he created you for fellowship and to bring him glory, and he deserves all of that glory that we can bring him. John Piper said this the best, I think. He said that missions... Again, overcoming barriers with the gospel, right? It's all of us. Missions exists because worship doesn't. There are people down the road. There are people in your backyard, your neighbor. There may be people here this morning who are not worshiping God on his terms because they don't know him yet. I'm not here to point you out. I'm here to say that you're missing out on a life that he died to pay to bring you into. Make today, that day. But he's worthy. He deserves all of it. And look at verse 
Look at verse 19. Go ye therefore and make disciples. This is the one we know. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. The Greek there is panta ethne. And guess what it means? It means all nations. I know that's not very exciting. But ethne, the word ethne, ethnic, ethnos, you recognize that, right? Ethnic groups. You get this for free, but we have one race on planet Earth. We are all of one race, okay? If you want to argue with that, we'll, we can meet me in parking lot or take me behind the woodshed or whatever goes on. But yeah, one race, one race. You can, you can argue, I know theologians, sometimes they'll, they'll all say, well, Romans chapter 5 says that there's a race of human, race of man, race of... Uh, you can't split up, I know what they're saying there, you can't split up the human race into any other races. Okay, we're all one, one blood. In fact, listen to this, we're all of one color. You say, Nathan, I don't know if I can amen that. <laughs> I'm looking around and I see some other colors. And I'm not sure what you're saying. Well, look, the basic, the basic building block of coloring in our skin, the pigmentation, is called melanin. Okay, there's just varying degrees of what we've all been given. My family's a good example of that. I married a girl who's very fair-skinned, very beautiful fair-skinned. I'm not so fair-skinned, a little darker. We've all been given different amounts of melanin, or really different ethnicities of one race. And by the way, if you've been given a little less melanin than me or somebody else, God still loves you. That's okay. All one race. Hatred of another human being because of the color of their skin or the way they look or something like that has no place to be named among God's people. Yeah? All nations, all ethnicities, the gospel is there. Re Revelation 5, 9. Revelation 7, 9. If this weren't true, then we wouldn't have passages like that where we see all around the throne of Christ worshiping people from every tribe, kindred, tongue, and nation. And that's a wonderful thing. He died for all of them. This is a familiar verse that I want to read right now, and it's very purposeful why I want to look at this. But you will receive power. Jesus is telling his friends this. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. We have ways of really spiritualizing this verse, and I don't know if we need to all the time, but something is pretty interesting. Okay, so he said Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and other most parts of the earth. What's kind of interesting, what he actually meant by Samaria, uh, Jerusalem is Jerusalem. Okay, I know that's pretty simple. What, what goes on here, though, when he says Judea, this is where it starts getting pretty good. What he meant by Judea was, well, Judea. <laughs> Sorry. What he meant by Judea was Judea. And the Samaria was this region right here. I tried to drag that dot to include. It's not perfectly circular or ovular, but it is that area there. And what did he mean by the uttermost parts of the earth? In a very small way, he meant America. People think that America is the epicenter of Christianity today. We are a long-awaited byproduct of people leaving and going and people sending and people leaving their homelands with the message of Jesus Christ and the salvation of sins. We are a downline byproduct of something like that, and amen that we are, but the uttermost parts of the world. That excludes nobody, and the scope of the gospel message is extended to everybody. 
you, me, and everyone else. But that's not the natural tendency of mankind, right? We tend to worship with people that look like us. We're going to leave here and have lunch with people that probably look like us. There's nothing wrong entirely in that. We socialize with people that look like us, right? You, you maybe hope your son or daughter, maybe they marry someone who looks like them. I don't know. This is not the tendency to go to people who do not look like us. They do not act like us. Their customs and their culture is not like ours. We read Ephesians chapter 2, though, and we see that the gospel breaks down every single barrier. There is not a slave nor a free man. There is not a man or a woman in the sense of who the gospel is preferred to. There's not a Jew nor a Greek. It's every single person. Is that clear? Is that painfully clear this morning? <laughs> okay. Nobody's rolling my eyes. I usually wait for eye rolls to like move on to my next point, but you're not giving me any. Thank you. That is absolutely true, though. It breaks down every single barrier. I remember I went up this morning and I surprised Ton and Kelly uh, by seeing them. And many, if, you, if you see me, I know it's a surprise anyway. The way I look, it's a dreadful surprise. But I, I went up there and I saw them and I, I met them and I hugged them. And it's been so long that I some, some of my very best friends are up there worshiping uh, this morning. And um, I remember one time I was invited to a Mian church service. Those of you who've been in other parts of the world, it's hard to tell sometimes what's going on because you can't understand anything. I know sometimes in Mexico you can, bit, you can piece stuff together and you can kind of understand but this was like being in a different world to me. I didn't understand. But every once in a while, I would hear the word Jesus. <laughs> right? And then I went to church. And you know what? I was with my brothers and sisters. That's what the gospel does. It breaks down every barrier that we can put up or that man has put up before us. Our mission is to preach the gospel so that we might see people become new creatures in Christ. It's not, the ministry of Word of Life, for instance, is not one that we, we perform or we go out and do so that people can act better, so they can do better, so they can be better people. We endeavor, we labor, my wife and I will spend our lives to see that people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and that disciples are made. Not only disciples, but disciples who produce other disciples. And I love it. I will, I will never tire of this thing. So the gospel makes us who we are, but so will our rejection of it. You've been to places where the gospel has had no effect, and sometimes it's a terrifying thing. So the one who, who will bring all of this to pass, the, one who, the only one who can guarantee the success of the mission he says behold and i am with you always to the end of the age that's like bookends you're going out into a world of wolves a world with that you will have trials and tribulations in okay that's one bookend and on the other side is this i'm with you always to the end of the age. If you're wondering why it's all worth it, sometimes some of you right now are, are serving tirelessly and you're wondering why in the world, who still cares? He still cares. He's watching you and he hasn't missed one bit. It's worth it. One day you'll see him face to face and you'll realize that every tear, every drop of sweat cried for his sake is all worth it in the end. Why is it all worth it? 
so that Christ can receive the fullness of the reward that he purchased with his blood. That's what burns within us. That's why we do what we do. That's why we are who we are. In a world of all these other voices, we are the loud voices of Jesus Christ. There's freedom in him. There's forgiveness of sin. We can come to church and we can soak it all in. We can be consumers. It can be about us. If we're not careful, I think that's the natural tendency. All of this will be for us. But you know what? Something changes when when we realize that there are 1.8 billion people around this world who have never heard the name of Jesus named. Something changes in us when we understand that there are pastors in other countries pastoring with less biblical training than our average Sunday school attendee here. Right? I'll say that again. There are pastors laboring risking their life, serving effectively with less biblical training than the average Sunday school attendee in a church like this. Something changes when you realize that. The fact, John, that you didn't sing my song this morning, it becomes less important. It's a little cold in here. Well, that becomes less important. Somehow sitting on my hands becomes a little harder to do when I realize the plight of the world that we live in. I'll end with this. You say, well, Nathan, I understand this word called hermeneutics. In this passage, when he's saying, go ye therefore, he's surrounded by the 11 disciples. This is a message to the 11 disciples. Let's be accurate. It's not for us. (laughs) Before I get into the whole hermeneutical argument, and we could go there, and um, it is a challenge meant for all of us, not just the 11 but I wouldn't even go there. Let's, let's talk first about this. If it's really to the 11, and you don't want the go ye therefore, then you can't just take the low I am with you always. They don't get to pick and choose. Go ye therefore. In the New Testament, we don't see many other options other than go or send. Let's be about mission. Let's pray as we leave that God would stir in our hearts this proclamation effort that he has enlisted all of us into. Some of you may not know Jesus and you didn't realize that there's a pardon available for your sin. There's no magical prayer for you to pray. If you believe Jesus is who he says he is, he's the Holy Son of God sent to die to buy back the debt that you incurred because of your sin. If he died for you and rose again on the third day, and he's now seated at the right hand of God, even making intercession for us now, if he purchased you by that, you believe that? Then call out to him today. When we pray, just just right here in a minute, when we pray, use that time to say, God, I understand I'm a sinner. I understand I am hopeless without the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. I call on him right now to save me. Would you pray that? And if you pray that, that's the single most decision of your life, the single most important decision of your, your life. And it's not the prayer that saved you. It's not this invitation. It's Jesus himself reaching down to save your soul. And uh, would you pray with me this morning as we wrap up? Again, if you have any questions for me, I'll be in the back. Thank you for your kind attention. 
But folks, this is who we are. This is what we do. This is why we do what we do. Father, thank you so much for this time together this morning. Each person really is here. As Pastor Ben said, it's not an accident. We thank you for the message of Jesus Christ that meets everybody where they are. But it's not just the beginning of Christianity. It's not just, the message of your son is not just what ushers us into the life eternal. It's everything. It should, it should actually breathe fire into the person here who's been saved for 50 years or 50 days. The message of your son is something that I hope we never get over. And I pray that we would be a people hard-headedly about your service, about your mission of making disciples and creating opportunities for worship where it right now does not exist. Thank you so much for loving us. I pray that you would bless these people and keep them safe as we go home. We pray in Jesus' name.